Hello, and welcome to Whole Cluster Conversation. Today, we are going to chat with Vincent Fritchie of Vincent Wines out of Eola Amity Hills in the Willamette Valley of Oregon. I know Vincent through mutual friends, but I also helped him out many years at Harvest. He's the one that I have kind of alluded to a few times in the podcast. So I'm really excited to chat with him. I've really been looking forward to chatting with him. He is a wealth of knowledge. And I almost like I always love our conversations because I go in thinking we're going to talk about one thing and then I end up learning so, so many other things. So welcome, Vincent. I'm Haley. This is Ashley. We are Whole Cluster Conversation. No, thank you. It's very good to be here, Ashley. Appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, thanks. Yeah, thanks for taking the time to talk to us. Um, just so everybody knows, we touched base with Vincent before recording today. And uh, because Ashley knew he could talk about just about anything. Um, so we talked to him and asked him what he wanted to talk about. And he had a really interesting take on things of just um, being a winemaker and not being afraid of the grapes and what they want to do. So do you just want to take it away, Vincent, and talk a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I think the key the key thing is that you don't need to force anything to make wine. Um, you know, I, I right. came to winemaking as a wine geek in probably the 1990s. I was in my 20s. And, and then I, but I wasn't a winemaker. I wasn't, I'm not the kind of person that if I rode a bike, ride bikes, I want to, build bikes or, or whatever it may be. And so I wasn't a wine lover who was comfortable in wineries. And when it all gets down to it, there's machinery, there's all kinds of stuff. But ultimately, these grapes, <laughs> they're like little yeah. kids. Like, <laughs> and I'm like, I don't have to do with you. And, or I will probably screw you up. So as I'm starting my apprenticeship, helping in wineries, from the very beginning, I know I was always concerned that they, you know, things were going to go wrong. And everyone was always on high alert. We want to make sure nothing goes wrong. And and I just, it made me really nervous. And it took a while, <laughs> years even, to really get more comfortable and understand that the grapes really know what they need to do. And our job is very different than making them turn into wine. They'll do that. You don't need to force it. And, uh, yeah. and we can sort of talk more about it. Yeah, I, I think that that was definitely one thing when I was working with you that I was always feeling like, I don't want to ruin the wine. I don't want to be yeah. the person that ruins the yeah. wine. Um, well, that's true, so- too. You, you don't want no. <laughs> no, it, is, it is true. But but there, I guess the message, though, and hopefully the message during Harvest was you're, you're likely not going to. Likely meaning like yeah. we're likely going to make it through the day. And so I'm not that worried about like getting run over by a bus. So it could very well happen at any almost any moment across street or something so it wants heightened concern and yet not front of mind all the time because how could you live a life so i try to help people in the winery be more free right i used to tell our interns a lot too that like even if you do mess something up we're not doing brain surgery like nobody's gonna die it would suck to ruin the wine but that's the consequence so just keep that in yes. perspective. <laughs> That's right. I, I like to. Jo- I mean, I kind of joke. I'm not. I'm not. Uh, yeah, raising other people's children, or I'm not in charge <laughs> of somebody's financial future. Uh, I'm just making the wine. 
And yes. I learned this making coffee in coffee shops. If anything went wrong, we could fix it. You could make you three more coffees. You could pick the one you like the best. I, I right. just, it was easily recoverable. And for the most part, wine is the same. I mean, the grapes cost a lot. There's a lot of emotion involved. And yet when you're working in a winery, even my winery, we make a couple thousand cases of wine. I work with five different grape varieties, but not any one of them is everything. Meaning that right. if something were to go wrong, we still have most of the wine. And in a way, I think that helps me operate in a way to make better wine across the board. And it turns out you don't end up ruining much of any wine. I mean, <laughs> any winery's got a story of, uh-oh, remember in 13 when something wrong went happened or happened. But um, but for the most part, it works. And and that's that's really the message. Don't be afraid of the grapes. They will become wine. Our job is to really help them, but not, we don't need to make it happen. They'll do it. I know that I have been afraid at a few points um, of making my perry, my pear yes. cider. Um, yes. And I know Haley and I have had over the the past year, just as I've been making it, getting ready to make it, anticipation of making it. Um, I've been in that category where I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm going to mess it up. And I have a friend that's done a couple of, you know, different um, fruit wines at home. And so mm -hmm. she's been kind of coaching me in it, but I definitely feel a little like what's happening? Where are things yeah. going with this? <laughs> and so I, I'm kind of there. And yeah. And so I think it's a good time for me to be having this conversation well, and just like thinking you, you, about it. <laughs> you kind of should be with Perry or other things. <laughs> I see this completely out of my area of expertise. Uh, I make grape wine. I started making beer and the beer uh -huh. was terrible. Beer is hard to make <laughs> because the there's not much acid in it. There's not mm -hmm. that much alcohol in it relative to wine in most beers. And so there's much more spoilage pressure. Um, wine yeah. is much more resilient. And in that way, allows us to, we aren't managing someone's financial future. We're managing a, grapes becoming wine that are in a, in yeah. an acid or pH, you know, basically in a, they're, they're very, um, not a lot's going to go wrong. There's no human pathogen that's going to end up in the wine. Like if you were canning mm -hmm. something, you could have listeria yeah. or other issues. Wine's really, it's going to be more, does it taste good or not? The, this is very generally speaking, but it's not going to really harbor anything that's going to like really hurt you. I don't know about Perry, and I don't mean to be alarmist, but but there are things yeah. you can ferment that that really need like sanitary conditions, not just clean conditions, yeah. but truly sterile conditions because their acid, their, their alcohol level, their various chemistry elements just aren't as resilient or sta not stable, yeah. but um, whatever the right answer is there. But um, so, yeah, carry on. <laughs> no, that's, that's a great point because, like, I come from growing up, um, and Haley, I don't know if you ever helped me out with this, but my mother is a huge canner, and so mm. I grew up in that canning world. So that's probably... You know, thanks for the therapy. That's probably the stem <laughs> of my fear. <laughs> yeah. from the I mean, canning world. So, I mean this. Yeah. I mean this not in a glib way, but wine is in part one of the many reasons it's special. Is it does allow us to let go in ways that maybe other food and beverage production doesn't. Meaning that it may not taste great, but it isn't going to hurt you. Um, yeah, other yeah. things you might make could. You know, you could really hurt somebody if your cooking's not on point. But wine right. is a different thing. And in that way, I think is opens the door to allowing us to think differently 
Um, if there isn't a cliff edge right there, we don't need to act like there is a cliff edge. You know what I mean? Cool. Um, and a lot of yeah. times we we make one and we're really scared that everything is going to go wrong. And and it's a natural thing. You don't want the Perry to go wrong. I don't want my homemade beer to go bad. You're putting effort, obviously, even a few bucks into into something. Um, but at this, but at some point, um, you know, you yeah. kind of get over the hump of 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 operating from, oh my God, this isn't going to work to where, okay, how, how is it going to turn out? And we're mm-hmm. more focused on that and not so worried if it's going to happen. It will happen. Right. <laughs> I've just yeah, come to that yeah. point. We'll make the wine next yeah. year. It will happen. And then we'll see how <laughs> it is. Yeah. With wine too, it's kind of like, well, at least for me, as I've developed my palate, I've realized that sometimes it's those I don't want to say questionable, but like it's those mm. not sanitized, but but definitely, or sorry, not sterile, but de- sanitized, yeah. but not sterile conditions where something happens to the wine and it makes it that much more interesting. Like there's, you yeah. know, it's, yeah, you're towing that line like old world Brett and things like that. Right, for sure. And though you can certainly have complexity in wine that isn't simply, you know, from a, from something that you'd say, okay, that 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 probably is a flaw or something right, that is detracting right. from the so much more. from what was unique about the wine. Right. Yeah. So I mean if you're if you have a wine from a special region of old vines and this crazy volcanic soil, but it ends up bready, it just tastes kinda like a wine that has a little Brett yeast kind of infection that gives right. certain characteristics to it. And it's kinda like a gutter ball, it makes almost any wine taste the same. And so in a way, I'm, I'm certainly not interested in that because I feel like it's a, almost a, 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 a tall poppy syndrome. There's certain elements <laughs> in wine that can kind of strip the nuance or the interest of wine mm-hmm. uh, away or the uniqueness. Um, but the, the, that, there's just that thought though of, of, of trying, to, to, trying to let go and allow the wine, trying to get into that frame of mind where, the wine, where, where we're interested in what's going to happen to the wine, not so much is the wine going to go bad. Um, but it's, right. it's a big thing to kind of get over. And, uh, and it just takes time, I think. And, and especially when you're working for other people. It's one thing when, from my perspective, I work for myself now. I apprenticed in other wineries. Uh, doing harvests here and there for several years. When you're working with someone else's fruit, it's it's obviously a different deal. Um, you're making <laughs> their wine or working on their wine. And sometimes I thought to myself, oh, we shouldn't be doing what we're doing. Or I wonder if we need to do this. Uh, maybe what if we didn't? And somebody once said to me, basically, you need to make your own wine, I guess, because you're, you're having these ideas about how it ought to be, then go and do it. And that's... I would encourage that of others, you know, especially when you're working with someone else, learn, you know, even if you're learning things from them and you're like, I don't think I would need to do this if I were doing it on my own. That's fine. You know, learn that and then go make your Mm -hmm. own. And and then you may find out, oh, shoot, we did need to do that or maybe (laughs) not. And that becomes, that's how you find your voice. So, yeah. Nice. I like that. So what do you think the main things are that people pause at or are afraid about the winemaking process? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I mean, I, I think almost everything, you know, is is the is the fermenter. So if we bring the fruit to the winery, we're gonna maybe sort it, perhaps destem it, put it into a fermenter. If it's red fruit, we're gonna ferment the skins and all the pulp and the seeds and the juice together. Um, we want to make sure it's clean. I remember, you know, did I clean this well enough? Uh, asking the winemaker, you know, this is clean. Is this okay? And the winemaker, yeah, it looks great. Like, oh, okay. How do you know? Did you test it? No, they were seemed comfortable because they could tell what clean meant. And clean meant, yeah, it's clean. 
Uh, we're, this is a hospital surgery room, but you look at it and say, yeah, I'd eat off that, sure. Um, maybe, you know, maybe at some level there was some something going on that wasn't <laughs> sterile, but it didn't matter because that's, you know, it's, we're making wine and, and in any wine it would operate this way. Um, and so I, I think, though, that we're worried that this wonderful fruit, this beautiful fruit, we always talk about how beautiful the fruit is, and it typically is, but we're gonna, we're just afraid we're gonna drop the baby. We're gonna ruin the fruit. And so we're gonna either, it's gonna not start fermenting. And so we're freaking out. A day's gone by, two days have gone by, three days have gone by. It hasn't started fermenting. There's a problem. There's going to be a problem. Um, and so it's just, it's those natural things. We really focus in on their smells now. Oh, smell that. That's not good. It's, it's going bad. And, um, and there are a lot of transitory kinds of things. And, uh, that happen in wine, and 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 it just takes experience and time, and people reassuring you that this is okay. That kind of like <laughs> if you were to run a marathon, I'm no run, marathon runner, but you know, around mile twenty, you're going to be stinky, sweaty, smelly mess, you know. And so sometimes <laughs> ferments aren't aren't as clean, and they they can get a little reductive or have these uh, these smells that kind of smell like you know, farts or other kinds of things that are like, what's going on here? But a lot of times those things just resolve themselves is, is ultimately my point. And so we're afraid of things that we're going to screw them up. And then invariably things start looking like they're going to get screwed up. And we think, oh my gosh, they're screwed up. They're definitely screwed up. And, and we have to now intervene to fix it or keep it from, you know, sort of sliding down the hill of being even mm -hmm. more screwed up. And for the most part, I find that's not the case. Uh, and there's no... You just have to kind of go through the process a bunch of times, essentially apprentice. In my case, working with others in wineries. And at the same time, through the encouragement of one particular mentor of mine, he, he had said, make wine at home, especially when you're working in other wineries. Sort of make wine at home, um, make a barrel of wine, make a commercial amount of wine on your own. And you really practice what you're learning in the wineries, but you also really... Uh, you'll learn the the challenges you are not appreciating as the as the apprentice, meaning this the wine right. you make at home is is yours and and you really you know some if something were to go wrong it is on you and and so you, it heightens your emotion it really heightens I think your focus and so for me ultimately it allowed me to realize oh I do know a bit of what I'm doing I can approach this as we approach it in the winery every day. Um, and my home wine ended up being pretty good. And that ended up being how I started my winery. I was able to make wine for a few years and it, and it worked out. That's yeah, that's awesome. I have the same suggestion a lot of times is like, well, you should try making your own wine. <laughs> I, yeah. I haven't thought about it on a commercial scale, like making a whole barrel, but that is a really good way to the, the make reason, people. Yeah. The reason for that is that it's, it's really hard to make tiny amounts Smaller of anything. Amounts. Try yeah. and make a tiny amount of soup. Try and make a mm -hmm. tiny cake. I mean, that's almost would be like a great British Bake Off kind of like joke. <laughs> Mini. Would be like, okay, everyone, it's <laughs> tiny focaccia week, you know? Like, it's one thing to make this, but how can you make it tiny? Uh, tiny amounts of wine yeah. are really hard to make for a variety of reasons. We, But, but essentially, it's just... There's the, you can, they kind of oxidize or just kind of, they yeah. lose their freshness more readily. If you make mm -hmm. a barrel of something, the, 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 the guy said it. to me, he's like, yeah, make a barrel. You'll make a commercial amount. It'll actually likely just go better, far, you know, straight away. You'll likely yeah. make a better wine just by virtue of having a larger amount. <laughs> but also, you know, it's more than you need. So it's a good way to get friends and family involved. And maybe uh, in my case, I was able to, uh, 
kind of helped trade wine for a little more interest down the road. And people were, uh, were you know, were kind of there when I started making wine commercially and had it for sale. Very so cool. that helped too. It helped to yeah. make more than I needed. <laughs> I guess that's what I'm getting at. <laughs> yeah. It made better wine and it set me up for, for a future in, in wine. Yeah. So. so along the lines of what we were just talking about, when... So when do you feel like a wine needs to be fixed? Is there a point or mm. are there certain markers yeah. that you kind of look for and you're like, uh-oh, we got to use. I, and I don't, I know a lot about your yeah. winemaking process because Ash yeah. has talked to me, yeah, but yeah. I don't know, you know, if you use finding agents occasionally or if you, I don't think you add yeast, but do you no, sometimes say, no, Ugh. actually, and, it, and it's, yeah, and I don't mean this. It's it's a tough thing to talk about because there's sort of this, there's such a trend in the world to like, I did nothing in the winery and that's, that's not that's not how I approach wine, but I I don't right. fine, I don't filter, I really don't do a lot, and I'm not really good at the technique of you know how would we fine and whatnot. I'm really I found that, and this is the luxury of working with my own wine. Um, time resolves most things, <sighs> and blending Patience. will resolve the rest. Patience, really, it's true. Um, this wine isn't clarifying. We need to filter it. No, just wait. Uh, I started a late bottled series of Chardonnay just because it basically the wine wasn't ready in the time frame I expected it to be. And I listened to the wine rather than said, you know, it's about me and gave the wine more time and it felt clear. And it sort of opened up a whole new like kind of I call it the cuvee tardive, basically the late bottled Chardonnay. <laughs> and uh, instead of late picked, it just is longer in the barrel, longer in elevage and yeah. kind of like a longer cured meat or cheese. I think it's even better for the process. But it started totally. with started with just it isn't ready. Instead of forcing it, we let it take more time. But uh, mm-hmm. to that end, that's the, the, the that's that's a, a stylistic thing. I'm really interested though in you know sometimes people will say, oh, I'm going to find this this wine, meaning I'm going to use a kind of a, an agent to help soften the texture of the wine a little bit, for lack of being more specific. Um, and I'm often interested in what the texture is, and I'm interested right. in that. Even if right now it might have a little bit, like, oh, we could polish that with a little fining. I'm like, I bet six months in the bottle I'll do that, and this wine isn't going to come out until <laughs> next spring anyway. And so I, I don't mean to say, therefore, I'm just kind of glib and like whatever, but I'm, I'm committed to seeing what the wine is on its own, meaning I... I and, and so I don't mean that in a dogmatic way. It's it's not like no additions are allowed or nothing's allowed. It's right. more that they just aren't needed from my perspective. So if I want mm-hmm. clarification, I'll wait longer. If I want tannin management, one, I extract very gently in the winemaking process. Ashley, I don't remember if you, or I don't know if you remember, but when we make red <laughs> wine, for example, maybe the fruit is in a fermenter bin for up to th- about three weeks where it's mm-hmm. fermenting from grape juice to wine. And we may mix it seven or eight times that whole time, meaning no two punch downs or pump overs a day. We're talking one or none. And just leaving it and letting it soak to infuse to like you'd make tea or mm-hmm. coffee or something where we're trying to allow it to have a, a its own a more gentle extraction and in a way, maybe head off the need for finding down the road where we have extracted right. too much tannin and now we need to do something to kind of bring it back into a balance. I'm really interested in trying to take a very gentle touch uh, and then allowing the wine to kind of be its own. And and I'll be honest, I'm still on the path of learning this, but mm-hmm. I 
I, I, 10 years ago, somebody might have said to me, oh, well, you'll find you need to find things or some vintages are just satanic. And I just haven't found that to be true. A light touch in the winery, allowing the wine to have time and recognizing that even when we're going to bottle the wine and we're like, well, it has a little tannin. It's not going to stay the same. And I do mm -hmm. want to taste the wine in two years from now or five years from now even and, and really understand what happened to it. Um, that's not to say I'm putting a wine in a bottle that's tannic and yeah. horrible. <laughs> at, at, I, I just I found that they've, they've been good. They've been okay. And, and I'm committed to kind of continuing down the road of let's not, let's not do anything to it. Let's just see what, let's see what happens. And so far, so good. Yeah. Yeah. That's definitely <laughs> one of the things that when I worked with you and probably because I mm -hmm. come from the ecologist field side mm -hmm. where I want to be outside and I really keyed into your messaging around investing in good grapes and working really well with your farmer and coming and having a good product starting out. Um, I don't know if that was the message you intended for me to get out, but that was <laughs> one of the big messages that I got was like, start with a good product and the rest will, will work its way through and yeah, be okay. The cooking, I like analogies. We, as, as we, I know we were talking <laughs> about, um, cooking, the, a lot of cooking analogies make sense for me in the, in the winery. And, and the analogies help me sort of understand, they sort of allow me to experience something new. Like when I'm making wine, it's like when I was new at it, I'd never done this before, but I had to spend a bunch of time growing up just hanging out in the kitchen. And that, that feeling about like, well, what are we going to do with with this, you know, cut of meat or something that's just terrible? You know, it's like, well, there's only so much you can do. The best thing you can do is start with the best ingredients you can. I think it was a good advice that maybe uh, I got from uh, from a cookbook one time: is go to the store and 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 plan your menu once you see what's good. You know, yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. The winemaker uh, I used to. In, yeah, no, yeah. Oh, I was just say the winemaker I used to work with always said. You can make uh, sushi with weak old fish, but you shouldn't. Just the same with wine yes. making. You can make wine with bad grapes, but you shouldn't. <laughs> That's like that. right. And honestly, you'll end up with so three, five times more problems of, well, this happened and that happened. And it's like, what if you just, especially if people are trying to make pretty hands-off wine. Um, yeah, that's would, another. You you. Yeah, not every not every kind of fish is sushi grade, and so let's <laughs> recognize on it. Yeah, I, it was, somebody told me that, and it's like there's so there's a time and a place where you might have some fruit that's like, wow, this fruit needs some some work, uh, some help, um, and that may be in how we sort it and how we deal with it. Um, there's one thing, a little a little hack in the winery that I do that that just simply, if I had a couple times in my in my career, I've had a lot of fruit that just or a, a, a amount of a, a load of grapes, you know, come yeah. in. It's like oh, one there's lot, mildew or something. Not a lot. One <laughs> lot, a lot, a single <laughs> lot of grapes that that essentially we added some fermentation from another fermenter to get it started quick and kind of just ferment it because it it looked like it was sort of like this is this is stuff that will be in the, the lowest end wine if it makes the cut at all. and But we're going to add some fermentation from another. We're going to take a little fermentation from another bin and just and kick this one off quicker and not just wait around for it. So I suppose there is a time and a place to intervene. But by and large, yeah, if you have good produce, if you have a nice tender cut of meat, you don't need to tenderize it. And a lot of yeah. times we're, we're doing that in the winery. We're just, we're, we've got to really extract and really kind of 
pound out the the sort of the meat and and it's it's like no this is tenderloin this pinot noir like <laughs> you do not need to do that you know maybe if it were something else but um so a lot of those analogies between the kitchen and the winery i think a, a lot of why we would do something or, or why you wouldn't they're, they're very similar sort of situations so yeah so when you were talking about that adding a fermentation to a, yeah. a different lot is yeah. that because you you wanted the fermentation to kick off to take care of any other yeah. questionable things. Okay. Exactly. So so it is true that that fruit that is picked, like any fruit you might bring home from a grocery store, if if you just sort of leave it on the counter for a few days, it might start you know kind of looking kind of bad. So you know, in in the same is true of wine, and we're guiding it to ferment in a good way. Uh, if you have some right. fruit that's kind of dodgy, you might say, hey, let's get this fermenting and let's be adding some starter from another fermenter that is kind of going well and it will get this one going well but i say this because maybe i've done that twice in my whole career simply because not every lot of grapes should be left to its own devices and allowed to ferment on its own about 99 percent of them in my estimation should uh, but not every single one so there's a time and a place for 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 helping you know ferment along but yeah right. just largely it's going to do it and you don't need, it's not about us so much. We always are like, oh, it's not fermenting yet. I'm not doing it right. It's like, you're not, it's not about you. It's just, it is. Let the fruit be yeah. and wait yeah. for it. It'll be all right. Yeah. One of the things, again, that I remember working with you was having to, you'd be like, Ashley, it's not fermenting as well. Take these outside into the sun. And I don't know why, but the weirdest yeah. thing stuck with me during that time. But I remember <laughs> yes. probably because I was having to like, you know, move the things around and help yeah. you out there. But that yeah. is, and, and so that is something that occasionally will be, instead of, I don't do temperature control in the winery. And this isn't so much temperature control, but it is temperature effect. And we're hardly mm -hmm. the only ones to do it, but... But, you know, can sometimes you can just kind of wheel a fermenter out, uh, forklifted or, or a pallet jacket, out into the sunshine for a couple hours and let it naturally kind of or gain the, the warmth from the sun and kind of encourage, like putting bread dough in a warm place to rise, as most, most cookbooks will tell you to do. You know, we're, right. we're, we're trying to, to provide a warm place for the, for the wine to rise, for the grapes to ferment. Mm -hmm. And occasionally a little a little help from sunshine. Uh, in fact, some of these worked <laughs> harvests for me this past year has their own label called Sunshine Effect. Jessica Wilmus is the winemaker's name, uh, cool. and and the, that was dubbed the their their label name because of allowing the sunshine effect, uh, at least as <laughs> nice. I understand it, to to uh, help promote a happy fermentation. And uh, yeah, and it, nice. yeah, so they're just little 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 tricks one can do. Yeah. Nice. Ashley and I've talked a lot. Well, we had we talked a lot about fermentation and we had a whole episode about yeast. And um I talk my well, I have a couple just like you, most people in the wine industry that have given a tour or more than one have analogies because <laughs> trying to explain winemaking it's not something that people do anymore. You know, maybe a couple hundred right. years ago it'd be easier to give a tour and right. say, Yeah, we do this and they're like, Yeah, yeah, we know. But, um, yeah, that's what we do too. <laughs> yeah. Or, oh, well, maybe we'll change the way we're doing that. Yeah. But um, uh, the one of the analogies I used is yeast are like Olympic champions. If you give them the right conditions, they will ferment to perfection. They will win you gold medals. But yeah. if you don't give them the right conditions, 
they're just going to be like any other Joe Schmo. Um, yeah. They're not going to they're not going to be able to do their best. So the temperature is a huge one that people kind of overlook. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. I think that when they're getting started, they think, oh well, we can just put yeast in here and it'll go. And it's like, well, yeah, it will go, but is it going to go the way you want it to? <laughs> That's exactly right. I will say though, I'm often for for the examples we've given. For the most part, the way I want it to be is like not as relevant to my winemaking, meaning that I'm comfortable enough with the way I think they're going to go that I'm trying right. to allow them to do what they're going to do. And so I, I would almost 100% agree with what you're saying. The one thing is that in a way I kind of, I always bugged me. I was a, I do play guitarist kind of for fun. And as a kid, you know, the idea was, you know, good guitar players should be able to make any guitar sound good. And that's not true because I had this crummy guitar <laughs> and it stunk. And I had got a better guitar and it was like immediately I sounded better. So conditions do matter right. uh, at the mm-hmm. same time. Uh, in a way, I kind of trust that the yeast you are can these still Olympic play athletes. Yeah, right. Or, or they, if the yeast are the Olympic athletes, they can still do laps down at the local high school. It doesn't need to be oh, in yeah. the Olympic arena or whatever. And so... In a way, I, I feel like we have a winery. It's a pretty rudimentary old uh, prune drying barn, actually. The neighbors like oh, cool. to say, oh, you're up in the prune dryer. And I'm like, yeah, I guess so. We're not making prune wine, though. But, uh, but the, <laughs> at least I hope not. But, the, uh, but, but, but I, we have this environment for making wine. We, 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 have, a, we have a door. <laughs> you know, we, we largely just allow the temperature to be ambient. I do cool it in the winter or in the summer, but it's not that we have a heater or otherwise trying to keep temperature control. And I find that, that especially when you don't add yeast, the yeast are much more kind of manageable. It, I've heard this and, and it makes sense that when you add yeast, the selected yeast tend to be more nutritionally needy and otherwise temperature and 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 just more more needy for lack of a better right. term. And that the natural fermentation that I'm allowing to happen seems to be less so. Um, right. And so I, I don't do any nutrient ads. I sort of stopped doing nutrient ads about a decade ago, and I just kind of was like, you don't need to do it. And I thought you did, and there'd be a number on a report, the nitrogen level isn't high enough, so we need to add stuff. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, it just doesn't, I, it, for my wine and my kind of setting, it, it doesn't, I don't need to do it. And and I say that because it's kind of like, I make wine the way I make it, but I, I like other wines. It's like, if I were to <laughs> sing, I would sing my song, this is how I do it, but it doesn't mean everyone should do it this way. It doesn't mean that other people- You're still going to listen to other music. <laughs> yeah, and in fact, love it, but it's just not right. my music. And sometimes it's almost <laughs> frustrating because it's like, yeah, my finding agent or this- like I'm really not good at that stuff and so in a way I'm just like yeah that's not where that's not my that's not my voice and so yeah. in, 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 in sort of you know in, uh, 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 trying to to come into my own voice I've had to realize there are things that I'm maybe this aren't part of my process and that's okay right. I guess is what I'm getting at there may be a time when I taste the wine I'm like wow maybe we could have filtered that or maybe not or you know but ultimately there's so many. I, I've never met a winemaker who wouldn't taste their old wines and say, oh, maybe we could have done it differently. Right. So they could have yeah, done no. 20 different things or they could have done nothing. Uh, they could have been right down the middle. And that's okay. And so, uh, 
but so yeah, so I, I try and provide the right conditions and otherwise just let them be. And in a way, if they're at, if they're those Olympians, they'll 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 get their laps in. I don't know. Oh yeah, completely. <laughs> Maybe a negligent. That's a great way to put it. They'll think, still do their yeah. job. They'll will still do their job and still do it much better than yeah. than. Maybe Me. the store bought kind <laughs> than your bread yeah, yeast. Or just, yeah. yeah, I mean, exactly. For, for what? For for yeah. And and it's kind of interesting. We we talk about like improvisation, or there's a lot. There's um in the Saying in the yes. wine community of you know natural hands off wine. It said we're just kind of letting the wine be. We're not doing anything. And and a lot of times, no, we're doing a ton of stuff. We're making all kinds of decisions. A lot of times these decisions are, we're not going to intervene. Hey, Vincent, this fermenter smells a little stinky. Should we do X, Y, or Z do it? It's like, no, let's just give it its punch down today and we'll let's let's just observe it and we'll see. And by and large, yeah, mm-hmm. things resolve. Um, but it's uh, but the idea of improvising isn't screwing around. And I think we were talking about this uh, before, but I love this analogy of like, you know, the best jazz musicians who are improvised, they aren't just messing around. They aren't just newbies. They've studied their instruments for years. They're in tune. They're in time. They're working with others who are similarly kind of capable. And then Mm -hmm. they let go. And so it's that idea Mm -hmm. of, of a, not so much controlled, but a, uh, a knowing kind of improvisation and not just screwing around or, eh, who cares, whatever. <laughs> That's the one, the, the, the big downside of, of winemaking without fear, winemaking with doing less and perhaps a lot less, is it can often be derided as you're lazy. I've admitted it, but sometimes people will use it against me. They're like, well, you don't know how to do all these things. And I'm like, well, I don't know how to filter well, or I don't, that's true, but but I just find I don't need to do it. But it's right. just that um, there are, the, the way we improvise is to be very knowing in what we're doing and then let go rather than just screwing around. And and that's yeah. that's a key thing. I, I do see some people out there, and it's true in any field, especially when we're new and stuff. We're like, ah, I know everything. And they're just like, I'm not going to do anything. And then the wine's horrible. And you're like... You got to know the right <laughs> things not to do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You got to know your craft before you can be the master. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And like you've yeah. said this entire time, just be willing to listen and not have it be about you. Like, oh, well, mm-hmm. I don't do anything. It's like, mm, is that the right choice? Or is it listening to the wine and letting the wine be what it wants to be? Mm-hmm. Yeah, sometimes, uh, and this is a, just a specific bit of advice somebody gave me, and I found it so true that, it's it's one thing to say, hey, this wine is fermenting. It smells a little funny. I'm not going to do anything just because I'm, you know, I'm just, I'm brave or I'm I'm not one of these, you know, manipulation winemakers or whatever. <laughs> but really, the, the person at the time was like, well, this the, the, the juice right now is at like 80 degrees. It's at the peak of fermentation. Um, you, you're never going to drink it at 80 degrees. Heat up a wine <laughs> to 80 degrees, you might get some smells that you don't like or taste or just kind of like chilling a red wine. Put a Cabernet in the in the fridge and then drink it. It's so tannic. The tannin comes out so much from the cold you know, temperature of the wine that you're like, wow, this is horrible. You're, and, and I would say to you, no, let's let the wine warm up to like cellar temperature and it will taste a lot better. Well, the same mm-hmm. is true that if you were to warm it to about 80 You'd probably find some things you 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 wouldn't love, but the truth is we're not going to drink it that way, and so we don't need to react to some elements during the winemaking process simply because there they can be issues with 
where the wine is, it's half fermented. Well, we're not going to drink it at half fermented. You know, it's, it's going to be fully fermented, yeah. settled out, and it's going to be a year later after barrel <laughs> I'm not worried about certain ele- elements of it right now. Uh, is, is often what I'm saying, and especially during harvest, when you have a lot of people working in the winery, and, oh, my God, there's a concern. It's like, it's not a concern. This is not, okay. we're not there yet. I don't need to be showered and dressed and ready for the show tonight because it's not tonight yet. And so mm-hmm. we, in, in, in analogously, you know, if it were in the middle of the afternoon and we had a big thing tonight, well, we're not ready yet because we're not ready. It's, it's okay. <laughs> we don't need to freak out. And we live that way by and large. Once in a while you meet a friend and they're crazy at three in the afternoon and you're like, Okay, you don't need to be, but but I get it. Um, in 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 and so in winemaking, a lot of times we'll smell things that I wouldn't worry about because it's not service time, and those things I think will resolve and typically, in my experience, do. If if anything, people say of my wines, oh, they taste pretty, they taste very clean. And sometimes in the kind of in a more hands-off world of winemaking, that can be like. A, a knock <laughs> like the wines are too clean like you must be doing stuff to them to make them so <laughs> seem like they're so tailored or kind of not perfect but you know what i mean uh yeah. and the truth is sometimes in the kind of the more natural wine world my wines aren't natty enough they're not super cloudy or they're not kind of yeah they, they smell of fruit and, and 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 of the place they're from and not just you know, kind of yeah winemaking kind of issues so um so it's kind of funny do you have a an like, like you said, we're singers and we like to sing, but we also like to listen to other people. What do you have like yeah. a favorite thing and maybe like a pet peeve about the, the when you taste other wines, especially more hands off made wines or natural wines? Yeah. I yeah. definitely know that I do. Like I love tasting natural wines because I feel like a lot of times the character of the grapes comes through um, much better than than if if you're manipulating them a lot in, fer- in fermentation. Um, but I also, yeah. I hate that I have to go through like 10 bottles to find one. Uh, well, and this is yeah. a lot of it has to do with sparkling too. We're buying like right. fizzy wines or sparkling wines and I and they're natural and then I taste them and I'm like, <laughs> I what? Why did somebody yeah. sell this? This is horrible. Yeah, they, there's, there's a, that's, a, that's, a, that's a great question. Um, and as a non-sparkling wine maker, meaning I've, I've actually never made sparkling wine of any kind, uh, hard to comment as a winemaker, but wine in general, yeah, I mean, I get frustrated. I get more frustrated with wines that are overly made, meaning they just right. you can almost, it's like tasting the artificial flavors and stuff or just kind of that fake candy kind of fruit and just kind of a oak sauce or tastes like oak mm-hmm. chips or just taste everything Acid, tasting, overly kind of like yeah, I can taste the oak. yeah so super when I can rich taste and that it's been acidulated <laughs> yeah and just yeah there's just it's it's like adding too much you just have too much uh, uh too much tartness for a richness mm-hmm. and a roundness and you're like there's no way these things happen kind of naturally right and while they don't all have to happen naturally I'm not against any changes in wine though I typically aren't I'm not doing anything right um when it's done poorly, and that's a judgment call, yeah, it's just, it's really bad. And a lot of wines out there are kind of that way. They're made very formulaically. I was in a big winery uh, that's kind of a wine factory in, in uh, uh, well, not in Oregon. 
Um, and and they could talk to me about the chemistry that they needed to get to be able right. to hit, you know, a 90-point score or an end cap at the Safeway supermarket for some $10 wine. And, yeah. and it was just like, oh, my goodness. You know, so the, a lot of wine is just made to, to essentially hit those marks, and to me, they do. And that's really mm-hmm. frustrating because that's just not what I'm interested in. On the natural yeah. side of things, the... the you know, there's certainly, there are a lot of wines, they taste to me like, they just taste like wines that are fermenting still. And so mm-hmm. that may be great, and that's fine. And in a way, like kombucha is a rage, and it sort of tastes that way to me. Like it's a little beer <laughs> that's kind of, or kind of an odd odd thing that's fermenting a little bit still. Um, and so I kind of get the sense that like, this is interesting, but it's like watching, uh, you know, probably the director's rough cut of a movie, and I'm speaking totally <laughs> out of my area of expertise. But you know what I mean, that idea of, like, if you really know what you're into, if you're in the field, you might be able to appreciate the sort of rough cut. But if you're, like, just going to the movies, like, you're like, wow, this is really, really raw. Like, this isn't even finished, is it? And while something doesn't have to be finished to be good or interesting, no wonder some people are like, what is going on here? And so... Sometimes the wines just taste like, hey, we just bottled it. And hey, it's cloudy. Right. It's, and to me, I'm like, it just doesn't, it, the, the soup doesn't seem done. And, and that's fine, but I, I'd, I'd let it finish. I bet it'd be better to me or right. more interesting. And uh, so, yeah, on the sparkling side, literally, though, one of, you know, I'm sure you know this, but, uh, but Pet Nat is to basically bottle fermenting wine and kind of have it finish yeah. in, in the bottle. And by nature, it might still be a little sweet. It might be dry, bottle to bottle. It just, you know, you, you don't quite know what you're going to get. And that yeah. can also be And that's be kind really of exciting. Tough. Well, exciting, yeah. yeah. Sometimes though, people are like, oh, I, I had one and it was great. And then this other one seemed very sweet. <laughs> I'm like, well, didn't finish fermenting as much. And that's fine too, so. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's, I'm more frustrated, honestly, by the, by the commercially wines. And especially wines that are 50 or 100 bucks or something. And they're kind of made, it's like they're making these handmade wines as if they're running a chain restaurant, as if they're making that $10, you know, end cap in the grocery <laughs> store wine. Um, right. Where I'm like, no, you, you, you are like a chef in a tiny restaurant, and you're running it yeah. like an Olive Garden branch. No, run this <laughs> thing like you're making the okay. handmade food here yeah. right now. This is it. You make three thousand cases of Walla Walla Cabernet. Like, let go. <laughs> you know, yeah. why, Just why, do why that. Don't worry about in? the other stuff. Yeah, or, or don't. There are more ways to make wine than just the right. big factory way. And so much wine is made that way. And mostly it's about what can go wrong. And we're going to control, control, control. Well, this has all been a great conversation. I think we're going to go ahead and start wrapping this up. So I have kind of one last question of sorts. Vincent, master of analogies, do you have any final <laughs> analogies? Or if you just are done with analogies um, and want to give us uh, some extra hacks to like kind of round out the the conversation, let us know what your best hack or analogy is. Well, it, the analogy, I appreciate that. No, I, I do love analogies. As I've said, they... they they help me understand things that are new in ways that are like, oh, this is this reminds me of something else that I'm more used to. And mm-hmm. it just helps me then internalize new stuff. And especially in the winery, which was a very foreign place to me when I first showed up working in wineries, nothing seemed natural. And analogies were really the way to understand. Um, but ultimately, so I've talked about analogies being uh, like there are a lot of kitchen analogies uh, mm-hmm. in, co- in, in how to cook and when something's done. 
and 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 but but overall and it's kind of cliche but it's true wines are like or grapes are like children and uh, i've learned this being a parent myself um but I, I you don't have to be a parent to to know this we've all we all were children uh we will grow yeah. up by and large we will we and and uh, to reiterate that idea that that when you're making wine we're we're not taking you know we're not performing open heart surgery and we we or we aren't you know uh you know in charge of somebody's financial future we're making wine and if something were to go wrong we we, we can live on but mm-hmm. so it's a nice it's a nice way to it's a nice setting to to experiment with truly letting go and and I think good parenting good parents or experienced parents I guess I'll say would know that it would tell you that that your kids are these fully formed people even when they're tiny they they're they've got all kinds of like they've already got okay. a lot in there and we aren't needing to give them all that we don't need to control them in the same way of so that if we didn't do X, Y, or Z, they won't grow up. Like they will grow up. Our role is to help guide them. And, and I really take mm-hmm. that to heart, the winery, that our role as winemakers truly are, we are wine guiders. We are not making the wine. The wine will make itself and we will guide it. And, uh, and I just think that is, that is so important. It's so, it, I just try and never forget that. So yeah, it's very that's important. That's beautiful. And, 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 but, and then one quick winery hack the when we're yeah. when we're taking temperatures of fermenters people always talk about their fermentation temperature and it it just varies all over the place and so a winery hack isn't so much a hack but people need to be specific about what their what temperature are they taking the temperature before they've punched it down or not because you let off a lot of heat That's are a you great one. are you taking it in the top oh, yes. or in the bottom are you is it juice? Say, I never let it get above. Yeah, and I, I, you know, they'll say I never get, I never let it get above seventy-five degrees. Well, neither do I, but the cap could be eighty-seven or something. So yeah, it, it's uh, anyway. So not a hack, but just sort of a pet peeve. <laughs> be specific. <laughs> well, be specific. I think that's a great one. And I, yeah, I always instruct people to find the hottest part and the coldest part. In a way, I want to kind of know the range. So. Maybe yeah, that's the hack. Definitely. Find the hottest and coldest. Don't don't just find don't just come up with a number that sounds good. Nice. Very cool. Well, thank you again so much for being willing to jump on to this call with us and uh, chat with us about right. not being afraid of letting <laughs> grapes become wine on their own. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm yes. sure we'll twist your arm to get you to come back and talk <laughs> about other things. Um, but until to. then. Uh, thank you. And uh, thanks to everybody for listening. We know uh, we say this every time, but it really does help us if you like and subscribe and also leave reviews. If you have winemaking friends, definitely uh, our wine loving friends to share our podcast with them. And we will talk to you guys next week. Thanks. Thanks again for joining us for another episode of Whole Cluster Conversation. Music provided by Michael Johnson of Grand Falconer. Audio production provided by our friend Ukiah Bogle. Make sure to subscribe to our podcast wherever you like to listen. Ciao.